Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Well, good morning and welcome again to The Journey. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, So glad that you guys are here with us today as we kick off or we continue this series called Relationship Goals. Some results vary. And uh, we kicked off last week and we said that basically every relationship ends up somewhere. And how do we get there intentionally? Uh, We said that some couples, it seems like they're always talking. Other couples, you don't even know they're together. Some couples, they're finishing each other's sentences, whereas others, are they're finishing each other's sentences to one-up in the arguments and stuff. And so uh, we said that when we look on social media, and if we were to type in hashtag relationship goals, uh, we would be really confused as to what a great relationship looks like. But so often, we allow a beautiful picture with a fake filter behind it to determine what our relationship should look like. And oftentimes we say, I want that. But what is that? And we don't even know. Sometimes that isn't even real. And so this whole series, we want to talk about what is that? How do we experience better in our relationships? And how do we invite God into this process? And what are some of the blueprints that we should put in place to have a healthy and a growing relationship? Now, last week, uh, we talked about the cornerstone for a great relationship. And we talked about how one of the most important foundations for any great relationship is to seek God together. And so we challenge you guys to pray with one another, pray for each other. And we gave you guys a couple of tips, a couple of things to keep in mind as you've been praying for one another. And it's been great to see, uh, great to read some of your emails about just how you're praying for each other as a couple and how that's been helping. But next week, uh, we've got my good friend named Dr. Jay Feld. Uh, He is a, a Christian couples therapist who has done this for about 40 years. Now, I've been married for, 13, for 12 and a half years, 40 years of experience. I want, I want to know what does that guy have to say. And so he's going to come. He's going to share about just his experience in working with couples and how to insert God, how to insert faith into that process. And so uh, he's going to give us a lot of advice in that. Uh, then the following week, I'm going to talk about the top five relationship killers. The top five things that every relationship needs to cover, needs to talk about, but so many times we don't. And I'm going to give you a couple of tips and talking points on that. And then we're going to wrap up this series on March 8th. And my wife and I, we're going to be here on stage, and we're going to answer your questions that you have about relationships. Now, last week, I was amazed. You guys wrote in questions You guys texted in questions. So far, no lie, we've got only 30 questions to answer on March 8th. That's it, only 30, no big deal. But we want to challenge you guys, again, uh, on the topic of relationships. Maybe we talk about something here in the message series. Maybe it's something that you're just dealing with personally. And we want to help you by answering some of your questions. And so we're going to put this up here on the screen. But here, what you got to do is just pull out your phone, and you're going to text the word Queens to the number 9700. And all you got to do is text the word Queens to 9700. And we will, all you got to do is just type in that question. 
and it submits the question anonymously, all right? So go ahead, at any point throughout this message, if you're coming up with questions or would like us to answer anything, all you got to do is text the word Queens to the number 9700-0030, and uh, we will answer, try our best to answer those questions on March 8th. But again, they've got to be relationship questions. Some of you guys didn't follow the, the rules last week. So only relationships-based questions. Any other questions? I can't help you out. All right, see your doctor. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, so, but today is a special day uh, because today my wife and I, we're going to be co-teaching. And we're going to talk about how do we crack the communication code. You know, years ago there was a book that was written and it said, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And uh, while that is not scientifically true, sometimes it feels that way, right? Like, I don't understand the person that I married. I don't understand the person that I'm dating anymore. It's like something happened, and now they're a new person, a new creation of some sort. How do I understand this other person? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But let's begin today by uh, pulling out our message notes, and we're going to look at a key verse for today's message, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Short, simple, and sweet verse, but it talks about the importance of relationships. In your notes, here's what it says. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Now again, this could apply for any context, you know, not just marriage, but it could, reply, it could apply for engagement season, right? It could apply for those of us who are dating. It could apply for those of us that might not be dating just yet. And it gives us this powerful passage, right? Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to each other in that aspect of marriage. Now, sometimes that is easy to do. Sometimes not so easy, right? In fact, just to kind of ask, for those of you who are in a relationship, whether you're married, dating, engaged, just by a show of hands, how many of you here have ever gotten into an argument with your special someone before? Anybody? I mean, okay, I'm not alone, right? Some of us, we got two hands raised. Oh, you're talking about today? Yes, yes, today. You're talking about five minutes ago? Yes, pastor, that is me. And, uh, you know, all of us, we deal with this aspect sometimes of getting into quarrels or arguments and such. And just to tell you guys, this is not for you per se. This is the 1030 service, right? Only the 1030 service crowd gets in arguments. I know you guys are saints, but we got we to address this message for the 1030 crowd. No, I'm just kidding. But I remember one time when Danielle and I were engaged, and it was the week before our wedding, one week to go before the day that we got married. And so we said, one week to go, let's go out somewhere nice. Now, at the time, I was living in a little town called Newark, Delaware. What's in Delaware? Nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. Delaware is what you go through New Jersey or Pennsylvania to get to Maryland. Delaware is just this little blip on the screen. If you've ever been to Delaware, you've probably been lost or shopping because there's no sales tax there. That, that's about it. Only reason why. So Newark, Delaware, there's nothing there. And so one week before our big wedding day, I said, i got to take Danielle out somewhere nice. It's got to be a big celebration. So we went to, like, the nearest city there, which was Baltimore, Maryland. And we decided to drive our car, park by the Inner Harbor. If you've ever been to Baltimore, Maryland, the only nice spot there is the Inner Harbor, basically, right? And so we walked around there, beautiful summer day. 
got a nice steak dinner outside, right by the harbors. We're watching ships come in and stuff. And then we decided to get tickets to watch a baseball game. Now, Danielle is actually a sports fan, so that's like a major plus, right? I'm a sports fan. Danielle's a sports fan. This is good. And so we walked right up, got tickets to the ballpark, and we were sitting three rows from the field. We were right there in the action, and it was cool. Couldn't have been a more perfect night. Beautiful summer day, nice walk down Baltimore, beautiful steak dinner. Now we're watching a baseball game. And uh, as it turned to nighttime, some clouds started to roll in. And some guy sitting there next to us grabs his umbrella, pats his umbrella, and he says, it's a good thing I brought my umbrella today. I didn't know it was going to rain. Now, let me caution you. Before we got married, all right, this was back in 2007. The iPhone had just come out two weeks before, and back then, the iPhone was basically a college tuition to get the iPhone back then, all right? So it was a lot of money. There wasn't all these smartphones back then. We just had these dumb flip phones back in the day, right? And so there was no way to know what the weather was going to be. There was no such thing as Siri or Alexa back then that could tell us all these things. There was no way of us knowing, and we parked our car about a mile from the stadium. The last thing I wanted to do on a perfect night was to be caught in a rainstorm, no umbrella, having to walk a mile back to our car. And again, this was before Uber back in the day as well. We were married a long time ago, 12 years ago, a long time ago, right? And so what I decided, being the loving husband, future husband that I was, we're going to go home, right? We don't want to get rained out. It's the Baltimore Orioles anyway. Nobody cares about the Baltimore Orioles. Let's just go home, and everything will be okay. So we left the game, made the long drive back to Newark, Delaware, and guess what? Not even a drop of rain hit the car on the windshield. So here we were, and we got home. This full, all-out nuclear argument happened. Danielle was upset because this is our last date before the big wedding day. This was going to be our last day before all the family comes in and all the stress of the wedding and stuff. And so this was supposed to be a special night, and it was cut short because of one guy who didn't know what he was talking about, said it was going to rain, didn't rain, and we ended the night just like that. But then I was upset because Danielle wasn't understanding. I mean, I was trying to care for her. I mean, you know, what's the big deal? We're going to be married anyway in a week. We could go on any date that we want after that. We could get season tickets to the Baltimore Orioles. No big deal, right? We can just go on. And it was this little argument that turned into like two hours in the parking lot back and forth. Now, if you've been married for, let's say, five days, you know that arguments happen from time to time. You know that fighting is inevitable. Every couple gets into arguments. We call this life, right? This is what life is. But the thing is, all couples fight, but healthy couples, they fight fair. Unhealthy couples, they fight dirty. Below the belt jabs, name calling, sucker punches, angry accusations, bitter grudges. Healthy couples, they fight fair, always working toward resolving the issue. And so in your notes, what I want to do is I want to give you five things to never do when you're in an argument. Just some ground rules. So five things that you should never, ever do when you're in the middle of an argument. And again, this works for marriage, for dating. This even just works for life, right? This works for the office. So let's look at these five things. What should you never do? Number one, the first thing you should never do is never call names. Never call names. One of the fastest ways to escalate an argument is to throw a name in there of some sort. I mean, when you call someone a jerk, a punk, 
a bleep hole. Don't, don't call people that, right? It, it never helps in the argument. And here's what we do. We try to justify this all the time. I didn't call you a jerk. I said you were being a jerk. It's the same thing. Come on. It's the same thing. There, there really isn't that much difference from I didn't call you that to your being that. Names, they, they hurt, right? And names, they often escalate in argument. Number two, the second thing you should never do is never, ever raise your voice. Never raise your voice during an argument. You know, shortly after our first year of marriage, uh, I bought Danielle our first ever anniversary present, a dog. Little Shih Tzu Yorkie mix, tiny little guy, 15 pounds, but he's fierce in the inside. Don't, don't tell him he's not a German shepherd because he thinks he is a German shepherd at heart. But this dog, he could never hurt a fly. Like he never, ever, I mean, he barks, but I mean, it, it, it's like one of those cars, you know, like a Dodge Neon where it got the horns like beep, beep. That, that's not a horn, you know. Same thing, our dog, you know, he barks and you're like, oh, that's cute. No, no, he's mad. Oh, he's mad. That, that sounds cute, right? And so he, he really, he just, he can't hurt a fly, but he always responds to the tone of voice. For example, I could walk up to my dog, and his name is Bomber, and I could say, Bomber, I love you so much. Come here. Come say high five, and, and he'll lick me in the face, and everything will be good, and all is right in the world, right? Or I could go to my dog, and I could use the same exact words. Bomber, I love you. Get over here. Come give me some hugs. And he ain't giving me kisses. He's showing his teeth ready to bite. But I said the right words. Everything was right. Technically true, but even a dog understands the tone of voice matters. And so the same is true when we argue, right? When we raise our voice, very rarely does it alleviate the situation. Often it escalates it to get to nuclear level. Uh, number three, the third thing you should never do is never get historical. Never get historical. Now, now this isn't a typo. I didn't mean hysterical. But what I mean by this is don't bring up the past for a, a momentary argument. Don't say, you know, 15 years ago when we were high school sweethearts, you did this, and you never did that, and there's no need to bring up 15 years ago. Now, that's exaggerating, but sometimes we do this. You know, 15 days ago, you said that you were going to do this, and we didn't get to do that, and now this is, and all the, all, often, we have this record of wrongs that we bring into an argument. So never get historical. Uh, fourth thing is never say never. The Justin Bieber song back in the day, never say never, but, but we do this all the time in our relationships. You never do the dishes. You never put your socks away. Now, to be technically true, even if they put their socks away once, you can't use the word never. You never put your socks away. And so often when we use these words never or always, we're just, we're just trying to win the argument and we're just trying to be a lawyer and prove our point, right? And it leads us to the fifth part, never threaten termination. Never threaten termination. You know, if you're truly committed to never giving up, then the moment you enter the word divorce in a marriage or the moment you threaten to end the relationship, to be honest, it's just a manipulation tactic that you're using to win an argument. Or you're just being cruel. I mean, either way, nothing, is gonna nothing good is going to come from this threat. And by the way, this threat is a thermonuclear option, so don't do it. So what you got to realize is instead of fighting across the room or across the table with my spouse or my significant other, you've got to instead realize that you're on the same team. It's not man versus wife. It's not, you know, it's not fiance versus fiance. 
boyfriend versus girlfriend, but instead you realize that it's not about fighting in my relationship, but it's fighting for my relationships. A big difference between the two. In fact, the key idea for today's message is the foundation for a godly relationship is not happiness, it's unity. Foundation for a godly relationship, it's not happiness, it's unity. You see, when God seeks to unite, the devil often tries to divide. And in our relationships, so many times we pursue the wrong thing. Am I happy? Well, happiness is fleeting. Unity is eternal. If you pursue happiness, unity isn't always guaranteed. But if you pursue unity as a couple, happiness is often a byproduct of that. And what happens is when you pursue unity instead of happiness, what you realize is it keeps you from arguments a lot like this. Take a look. So how was your night? My husband found himself in a very traumatic shark situation. Here we go. As we were planning to go to the waterfall and have a romantic evening, because as you know, we don't do that very often because of the kids and work. But somehow this, this crazy traumatic shark experience was, was enough to make him neglect his wife. Ronnie, nice to meet you. Well said. David, how did that make you feel? I know my truth. Excuse me? I know my truth. Did you say I know my truth? Boy. Listen, I'm telling you, you getting on my last nerve. Yo, I ain't signed up for this. Yo, you said we was gonna be dancing. You said we was gonna be partying. You said we was gonna be doing what we do. You made promises, Daddy. Boo-boo, look, they got me doing a lot of activities. What do you expect from me? I'm tired. You tired? Yo, I'm tired. Plain and simple, I ain't having it. Sometimes we forget how to do the easiest thing in the world which is just to talk to each other. Okay, let's start here. Uh, Lucy, you go first. I want you to look at Joey and say hi. And Joey, after you've heard that, I want you to look back at Lucy and say hello in return. And then we'll, we'll just see where it goes from there, okay? Hi. You kept saying open and fruitful and other weird stuff that's not feeling. It's just more talking in short half sentences. And you managed to turn feeling into a job or an activity. And it was exhausting. So now it's my fault that you don't feel satisfied. Everything is, is my fault? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm not saying crazy. that. You don't look at me. You don't ever ask me I how work. I am. You ask haven't me. looked at me in 10 years. I'm crazy and everything is my fault and my family is awful and nothing at all is your fault. Because you rock, Joey. If a guy talked to me like that, I'd punch him in the face. Oh, you're such a... All right. Well, hey, guys. Um... I thought since Mike opened up with a story about, you know, the beginning of our marriage, well, the week before our marriage relationship, I'd give a little story to show how far we've come in our almost 13 years here together. Um, so, you know, Friday was Valentine's Day. I'm sure most of us know that. So we had a date planned, you know, our once a month or however often we can get it, our hot date. And by hot date, I mean we were going to drop Blake at the bus at 7.30 in the morning, send him to school, and then drop uh, Landon off with a sitter mid-morning because we are too old and tired to go out at night. So we try to just steal away during the day. 
uh, that way. And so we had a nice reservation at our favorite restaurant that we don't usually take the kids to, 11.30 a.m. as soon as the doors opened so that there would still be time for a romantic stroll through Target after lunch. <laughs> and of course, as these things seem to always happen on uh, days when we have things like this planned. Landon woke up earlier in the week with a high fever, wasn't feeling good, and we knew, oh, we're going to have to cancel Friday. Um, so we woke up, we prepared just to kind of stay homesick on Friday. Landon seemed a little better, so we were like, you know what, why don't we just keep our lunch reservation? We'll go out and we'll take him with us. And um, there was, it's kind of a mixed uh, feelings about how that, <laughs> that went. But um, our, our sick three-year-old turned a quiet, romantic lunch into, you know, a, really just a little bit of chaos with, you know, when we put the meatball in the wrong spot on the plate, and then we had to pick out every piece of the green seasoning that they put in the pasta because something's wrong with that, and he really barely held it together until we got the check, so it was a little bit of a stressful lunch, but I remember <laughs> just, we kind of gave each other a few glances at times, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, I'm thankful for how far we've come that we can kind of just, instead of getting grumpy and annoyed with each other of, could you just make him sit down? Could you just, could you? <laughs> that we were actually just trying to enjoy what we could get. And, and those glances we give each other, I feel like just really symbolize, you know, we're doing the best we can here. And just kind of express to each other that we've come a long way and we're just going to enjoy what we can get. And so I'm thankful for those little moments um, that things don't have to go perfectly, but they're still just little times together and with our family. And, you know, conflict is inevitable in all of our human relationships. Um, and when it happens, it's human nature to come to our own defense and want to prove ourselves right. And I think, as Mike said, we really need to focus on fighting for our relationship instead of fighting to win an argument, because I feel like that's where our downfalls come. And if you take a look at, uh, at your notes, you'll see how we can uh, do this. There are several steps to what always to do. Um, when you're having an argument. Five things you should always do when in an argument. Number one, take responsibility for my parts. And you'll see your verse there, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You know, there are two sides to every argument, every disagreement, no matter how hard we want to fight against that, it's just the reality of it. And I think that each of us needs to make sure that we're able to just, out of love and care and concern for the other person, just to selflessly take a step back and think, hmm, where might I be at fault in this situation? And I really think that that requires thinking the best of the other person, whether it's your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and maybe it's not even a romantic relationship, just a friend that you're struggling with in your relationship, but just taking a step back and saying, hmm, they seem upset about this, then maybe I should consider how this made them feel or why they're, they're feeling that way. And I really feel like the moment we put ourselves in the other person's shoes, we start to disarm a little bit. And that self-defense just comes down a notch, which in turn causes the other person to just bring it down a notch and back to a human level where you can try to work through it. And um, 
I think we forget sometimes that conflict is a natural part of intimate relationships. But really, once we understand that, we can start to see that the conflict doesn't always represent a crisis, but that it can, oper uh, it can present an opportunity for growth and just being able to work through it together. Uh, so number two, listen before I speak. I think especially as men and women, we often hear different things. <laughs> and uh, you may think you know what the issue is, but in reality, you may not even be understanding a little bit. You know, we have these moments where Mike comes home from work after a long day for him, and then I've had a long day of work and with the kids, and we're both just edgy and at each other. And I think um, sometimes it's so good just to take a step back and be like, you know what, you're not the problem. I'm just grumpy. Or, you know, even if there is a bigger problem, just to be able to step back and be like, you know what, let me hear what you have to say before I bite back and try to defend myself. In the heat of a moment, it's so easy to spew hurtful, offensive words that do nothing but escalate the argument and offend or hurt the person that you really, truly love. And if we can discipline ourselves to listen to the other person and consider their point of view, I think we can spare ourselves a lot of regret. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue can bring death or life. Once we say something, we can't take it back. And research shows that it takes only one put down to undo hours of kindness that you give to your partner. Just one put down. And so if we can just learn to be a little more careful with our tongue, I really feel like it goes such a long way. Uh, James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I really feel like if we're quick to listen, then we will be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Because when you're truly listening attentively, it's hard really to be biting back or to be letting your inward emotions control every response. And so I think it's important to make sure that you're completely attentive to what the other person is saying. You know, in this age, it's so easy to be like, you know what, I can't do this right now. I'm just going to pick up my phone. I'm going to text. I'm going to let you rant about whatever you're ranting about. But I really feel like we show each other such great respect if we can just keep focused, put the phones down, just take a step back, see what the other person has to say, and seek to understand, not to just be understood. Um, and another thing in regards to that of listening, be slow to speak, think about it. Should it be said and does it need to be said now? Because I know in our own experience, we just pile on things that are like, you know, this, this is going so far from the issue. Only say things that are pertinent to the issue and not bringing up all the historical past and all those kinds of things. Uh, some things are best left to discuss when it's not a time of conflict. And number three, work to resolve the issue. Um, Ephesians 4.2 says, be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And one of our favorite books that we use a lot um, when we meet with couples who are getting married is Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And I love a quote from this book. It's, it says, unresolved, unhandled conflict acts as a cancer that erodes the passion, intimacy, and commitment of marriage. It's amazing how once you start to just let these things simmer and you don't work through them, how it really just builds up, and it's so unhealthy. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, um, Mike's mentioned this before, but one thing we learned after a few... Um, 
years of marriage, we took this literally, the don't let the sun go down part, but then we would argue all night till the sun came back up, and then we couldn't function the, <laughs> the next day. So I just want to encourage you with this. There comes a time when sleep is good, and when you get some rest, you wake up with some renewed perspective. And if you can both agree, you know what, let's put this aside to the morning and then wake up with that new perspective or at least not grumpy perspective and work through your issues then. But whatever you do, make sure you come back to it. Don't just move on and just brush it under the rug because that's where problems simmer. And then, you know, we're, we're talking through this series about all different kinds of relationships and um but I especially want to speak to those of you who are married because I do believe that marriage brings a whole separate element of spiritual warfare that we just underestimate sometimes. And, um, you know, as humans, we are created to reflect the image of God. And we're told in Ephesians 5, um, and you can read that later, that's not in your notes, but marriage is meant to be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And if Satan can whisper his lies and can break up and destroy marriages, he can distort that reflection of Christ's love for the world, for the church, through so many different avenues. And I think that's why he goes after our marriages and our families. So from the moment you say, I do, and I really feel like we felt that. We had this overwhelming, yes, we're going to do this. We love each other. We're getting married. We're going to do all these great things for God. And, you know, the possibilities were endless. And then, as Mike shared a little bit last week, the beginning of our marriage was kind of, it was a rough start. We loved each other so much. That was never a question. But we just argued so much. We argued on our honeymoon. Our personalities were completely opposite. We just couldn't make decisions well together. You know, we were in ministry and a lot was expected of us. And, you know, we're drowning and we're trying to hold other people up. And we just, we didn't have good priorities in place. And we were living away from family and we were in full-time ministry. And, um, you know, the honeymoon phase of our marriage ended quickly. And we looked around and we compared ourselves to others. Well, how come it ended so early for us or really never existed? Why did we get thrown into this reality so soon? And um, I'm so thankful that even then, we both were committed to the vows we had made. And Satan could have easily tried to just divide us with these little lies of you married the wrong person. You guys aren't right for each other. You're never going to work this out. You, you, you just, you pick the wrong person, those kinds of things. And I know it because I see it in other marriages of people that we have walked through and they've allowed those lies to sink in and they believe them and it drives a wedge. And I just want to encourage you today. Marriage is hard. Don't believe the lies of it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard if we were right for each other. Um, we chose to fight for our marriage, and no matter how difficult it was, and we learned to resolve conflict in effective ways. Um, we've been through counseling many times in our marriage, and I don't say that out of shame, but if you need it, it is so effective, and it gave us the tools we needed to just be able to walk together and enjoy each other and really be happy for ourselves and for our family. So I encourage you just to seek out what you need to do to resolve the issues and work through the conflict. And I just want to end with this thought, but getting through the hard times together has brought us closer together than romance ever could. You know, romance is an essential part of marriages and um, 
these relationships, but it isn't the glue that holds us together. And in our culture, we don't like to face or walk through the difficult relational things. We want to sum it up to, again, I chose the wrong person, or I just don't feel the same way anymore, or it shouldn't be this hard. But I just feel like too many people are short-circuiting the process, that if you just hang in there, you work through these issues together, it just produces a grit that can withstand any storm. And it cre it's created an intimacy between us uh, that no one can break because we've weathered the storms and grown together through it. We've seen brokenness in each other that no one else sees, strength that no one else knows, and we've leaned each other on each other through it, and it's worth fighting for. So I just want to encourage you with that today. Thanks, Mary. So the fourth practice in your notes is uh, to practice forgiveness. Practice this, this little thing called forgiveness. And, uh, you know, so many times when it comes to marriage or in dating, we're looking for the one, the one to complete us, Mr. Perfect, Mrs. Right for me, right, Mrs. God's div divine angel for me, and, and all those things, but then we forget somewhere along the way they're a human being. And one of the hardest things about life is that we realize at our worst moments and at our lowest moments, often we hurt those that we love the most. And that's a hard thing for us to come face-to-face -face with when we make a mistake, when we say something that we regret, when we do something that we deeply are ashamed of. And it's such a beautiful thing to not only offer forgiveness to someone, but to receive it for ourselves as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter about love, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Uh, the famous uh, preacher Billy Graham, his wife, Ruth Bell Graham, often said this. She said, a happy marriage is the union between two really good forgivers. Happy marriage is often the union of two really good forgivers. Because no matter who you are, you're always going to have something that you disagree with about and with someone about. No matter how much you love that person, no matter how long the history is, you're always going to have some things that you're not going to agree on. And that's okay, right? You don't have to have perfect harmony to have a perfect relationship. You don't have to walk through Flushing Meadows Park skipping and holding hands and saying everything is awesome. And, you know, but remember, it's not about happiness. It's about unity. In fact, that's why Colossians 3.13, it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Then underline this next phrase, so powerful, but it says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, one of the most powerful things about relationships is that we have the opportunity to offer and receive the same forgiveness that Jesus offers to us and he did on the cross. You know, true love, it comes through sacrifice. And sacrifice is often found when we have to forgive. And look, I know we've been through certain things and there's certain things in life that it's, it's harder to forgive than others. But remember how much Jesus forgave you. And often that's the example that we're supposed to forgive others, including our spouse or a boyfriend and girlfriend. So uh, remember that. And then number five in your notes is to get God's help and guidance. You know, it's important to take responsibility. It's important to listen before you speak. It's important to resolve the issue and offer forgiveness. But more than anything, when it comes to relationships, we need God's help and we need his guidance. 
You see, with Jesus at the center of our relationship, what we talked about last Sunday, is what it does is it gives you the power to draw closer together as a couple. Often when love wears out, when affection wears out, when intimacy sometimes wears out, Jesus offers that unconditional love that's important for us to offer toward each other. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we all have died to the old life that we used to live. You know what I love about that verse? It says, whatever we do, it's because Christ's love is, is leading us. It's controlling us. Not someone else, not culture, not this cute movie that I watched at the Midway Theater. No, it's Christ's love that is leading us. And the greatest thing that you can do for your relationship right now is to decide to put Jesus at the center of it. Because if you are drawing closer to Christ and your spouse or your fiance or your boyfriend or girlfriend is also drawing closer to Christ, you both have the same anchor for your hearts. And so as you're drawn closer to Christ and as they're drawn closer to Christ, you're drawn closer together because he's uniting us with the bond that only Jesus can unite us with. You see, it's, it's Jesus who holds it all together when it feels like life is falling apart. Psalm 127, verse 1, it reminds us of this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless God builds your relationship, no matter how good your Match.com profile is, it's going to be wasted. Unless God builds your relationship, doesn't matter all the marriage tips you got, doesn't matter what Oprah's got to say, the work is going to be wasted. And maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, I just, I wish I could have a better relationship. You know, in fact, uh, someone wrote one of the questions uh, they wrote, and I had to smile at this one, but they wrote, and they said, is it often for couples to fight this much in their first year of marriage? I'll answer that one right now. Yes, yes, it is. And so, you know, we all face moments where what we hoped is not the reality right now. And in those moments, it's easy for us to get discouraged and for us to lose hope or lose faith. But remember, what God seeks to unite, the devil seeks to divide. And so if you feel divided at this moment, draw close to Christ. Because what God seeks to unite, the devil will seek to divide. And so maybe for you, that first step is not, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but I'm going I'm to pursue Christ with all my heart. And trust and hope that he is going to lead us closer together as a couple or in our marriage. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where we can be encouraged by your word. And I know as we talk about such a, a, a topic that so many couples face, this idea of arguing, this idea of fighting and learning how to fight fair. God, I pray that you help give us the tools that we need to follow your word. Remind us that it's about drawing closer to you not winning the argument or not always being right. And so, God, right now we just open up our hearts. We, we open up our, our lives before you. We surrender our life to you today, God. God, we want your life, your love to lead us and to control us, God. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.